0: Hello, and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com, or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. This is episode 80, and I'm your host, Chris Sands. And I would say when I started this podcast about a year and a half ago, I never would have thought that I'd be talking so much about politics while talking about beer. But here I am with gubernatorial candidate, Alec Ross. How's it going, Chris? It's going well. Thank you for joining me.
1: I'm fired up to be here.
0: And so before we start getting, talking about alcohol reform and uh, beer and everything, can we just get a little bit of your background? Because I... I found your, once I started looking into you a little bit more, I found your background and your story interesting also, not just that you are a beer guy.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, and look, being a beer guy started earlier. I grew up in cold country, you know, put myself through college in part working on a beer truck. <laughs> and, you know, boy, let me tell you, for everything that's happened since, working on a beer truck in 90 degrees during summers. Hauling, that sounds miserable. Hauling the big kegs, like that is real work. That is real work. And I moved to Baltimore 24 years ago to be a public school teacher. I taught sixth grade in Baltimore City Public Schools, married the math teacher across the hall, still teaching math. Uh, But then I got into technology. I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, my students, you know, really kids growing up in really poor communities, they're still like fish in water when it comes to the use of technology. So I started a nonprofit to help kids from poor communities get jobs. Helped 11,000 young people get jobs over the course of eight years. Barack Obama heard about it, and I got to know him. And when he ran for president, he wanted technology to be something special. Uh, In his campaign, I ran tech policy for that first presidential campaign of his and then served in the Obama administration. So I've, I've sort of lived this crazy life, you know, a little bit of tech entrepreneurship, a little bit of public service working for President Obama. And, you know, hey, from Holland... Holland kegs in college to present day as a gubernatorial candidate, Beer has been omnipresent.
0: So why while you haven't served as an elected official, you do have an ex- were you on the whole eight years?
1: that I, I was in for four years. Okay. I helped set up uh, a big piece of the economic Recovery Act. about thirty five thirty six billion dollars worth of programs I helped establish. And then I spent four years working at the State Department, uh, where I ran some pretty big teams. So I haven't been an elected official before, but I've got very, very deep experience in the executive branch of government.
0: Gotcha. So, and then let's talk about one of the the reasons I wanted to have you here: uh, alcohol reform. What, what does that mean to you? For me,
1: I mean, first of all, look, I'm since I moved to Baltimore in 1994, I've been, I've been you know, drinking our, locally, our, our local craft brew. Uh, and for me, when I see the laws in Maryland right now where it's harder to brew and sell your beer locally than it is for, you know, international conglomerates and in, based in places like Amsterdam to brew and sell their beer in our, in our own state, that's just wrong. And, and, it, and it bugs me from the standpoint of both being a beer lover and what I consider be a member of the community. But also, for me, it's this bigger symbol of how small business owners and entrepreneurs with passion and hustle, uh, but without the political connections and the political power of glo- global conglomerates, how it's much harder for them. And it's just weird for me, here we are in Baltimore, and here we are in Maryland, and it's harder to sell your Maryland-brewed beer than it is to sell Coors or Budweiser. Makes
0: no sense. So what, is there one aspect of um, our laws and how things are structured that you feel is the number one thing that needs to be changed? Yeah, it's the distribution system.
1: You know, I think we've got a world now where you take friction out where you can, and this idea that there are people who don't brew beer, they don't bottle or can beer, all the, the, what they're there to do is basically take it from the brewers and the canners and get it into the grocery stores or wherever else. And they are somehow an indispensable part of how beer gets moved around. And if they're ever cut out, then you know, they're, you're know going to get punished. So it just doesn't seem right. I think that people who who brew their beer ought to be able to brew as much as they want, sell as much as they, they can sell. And they shouldn't be compelled— to sell it to distributors. I mean, imagine if somebody were making. If imagine somebody was a carpenter, and they were making tables and chairs, but IKEA said, "All right, you guys can make tables and chairs, but if you sell above this level, then you have to sell them to us. And if you want to resell them at your store, if you want to sell them at your store, well, you sell them to us, and then we'll resell them to you." What?
0: That yeah, that is definitely one of the most ludicrous. Um Uh, provisions of uh, HB-1283 from last year, although I believe it was um, Delegate Davis repeatedly said that that's what the brewers wanted during his constant refrain of trying to get people to say that 1283 was bad, so we needed to roll everything back.
1: Look, I don't think any industry wants government saying, you know, you're limited in what you're able to do. I mean, name another industry where... You're punished for your success and where limits are put out there so that you don't become big. You know, I do. Look, I'll be honest with you. I like a lot of the beer and a lot of the culture in some of our really small craft breweries, you know, that are never going to test these limits or anything like that. But I'm a believer in freedom and I want people to be free to do whatever it is that they want to do and where there's a consumer market for it. I just don't understand. It's almost like the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. It's it's I don't understand this government
0: control. So the so from your I guess, I guess is it does it come from more of a standpoint of just the looking at it as beer producers and it the industry as a whole or From the standpoint, it's just stifling economic growth in a sector that could be helping Maryland in a huge way as it does in both neighboring states.
1: Yeah, so for me, this is really about unnecessary stifling of entrepreneurship. I mean, if you look at our neighboring states, if you look at states like Virginia, the government there views the craft brewing industry as an asset. You know, I mean, look, think about people who are in the community. Like, these are people who buy locally, they live locally, they oftentimes send their kids to public schools. They're younger, they're entrepreneurial, they're progressive. Like, we should be championing the craft brewing industry. And so for me, putting limits on that at the expense of, you know, big global conglomerates, it's just stupid. And I know what why they're doing it. They're doing it because of political donations and because of political power. And, you know, we're literally Giving an advantage to these global conglomerates over the lo- over the local craft brewers that just makes no sense to me.
0: So I'm I'm glad you said that because I I was listening to NapTown Pint and, and you mentioned that, um, and I know you you did you, you testified. I did. Heard, I, I thought, and so I watched through almost all eight hours of that, and there was one section where a gentleman that I thought was just masterfully done came up, didn't accuse anyone in na- that. Of anything, but pointed out the perception problem of accepting donations from large uh, conglomerate beer companies and then voting in a way that helps them. And one of the delegates had, um, I won't say his name, but I will categorize his reaction as almost a hissy fit, um, that there's no way that those contributions will dictate the way he votes. Then don't take the contribution. Yeah, so it's crazy. (laughs) So, if so, say, AB and Bev came to you and offered you money to come to for your campaign, would you refuse that? You know, it's not going to happen. You know, yeah, oh yeah I guess I if mean, they looked, you know if they just scroll through your Facebook feed, and yeah, <laughs> some of no, your other comments I mean, are probably I, not going to come. They're <laughs> looking for they're you. They're not
1: a fan. This is this isn't even a hypothetical based on a theoretical yeah. based on a maybe. You know, I'm running. My running mate is a woman named Julie Verratti who's you know one of the owners of Denizens Brewing, and Julie and I are running in part as champions of this of the craft brewing industry, so suffice to say, if any of these guys show up in my office, then you know they're probably serving a warrant or something like
0: that. <laughs> uh, well, now, no, now, now they do everything uh, creatively with song and with scrolls, pretending like it's from the um, Renaissance yeah, right. time, so it would at least be a funny uh,
1: it way be. to deliver
0: it. It would be, you know,
1: a big thing in this for me, a lot of this comes down to money, it's like, okay, why would a member of the legislature vote against Maryland's craft brewing industry? How does that—the It's the answer is money. It's who are they getting money from? And the second part of the answer is power. So if the people at the top are getting money from the global conglomerates and lower-level legislators are all about how do I get more power, and they get more power by doing what, you know— The, the more powerful people. Yep, that's it. It's about money and power because there's no like intellectually rational argument that you could make for why you would stifle the craft brewing industry. There's like you you just cannot you can't argue it in a way that makes any sense whatsoever.
0: So one or argument that they tried to put forward was the public safety.
1: That's um, nonsense. And so that's such what, crap.
0: What what is your uh,
1: response to that? That's such just complete crap i mean if you were going to do that then what you would do is you would not allow grocery stores to sell 24 packs you would not i mean look that makes absolutely no sense how can you you would close all bars at you know the times that you want to close the the craft breweries public safety has absolutely positively zero zip zilch nada to do with this
0: and that's a that was one of those things i i wish that Someone would have pointed out every time they brought those up that there are already laws on the books that take care of that problem. And when it's I heard, illegal uh, to serve someone who's intoxicated.
1: That's right. And, you know, when, every now and then one of these legislators would talk about drunk driving. Well, you can get as drunk, you know, buying a beer at a bar as you can at a craft brewery. You know, they, they're, and they were talking about the alcohol content of the beer. Like, oh, no, you know, look at the alcohol content. Doesn't this make it like a weapon of mass destruction? Well, you know what? A beer with 7 or 8% alcohol still has a whole heck of a lot less than liquor. And, you know, guess what, buddy? That, you know, garbage vodka that you're pouring cranberry (laughs) juice into, more likely than not, that'll get you a lot drunker than that 7% beer.
0: Yeah, I can go do as many shots as I want at any bar.
1: That's exactly right. So it's a false argument. So what this is, is that this is a bunch of people who are slaves to either the money or the power who are embarrassed about it and are trying to wrap themselves in the language of public safety or community concern. It's complete nonsense.
0: And so speaking of bars, but on the good side, I'm going to th- take a moment to thank Roast House Pub because Nico, uh, well, one, it's not a bar. It's an amazing craft beer dispensary and eatery um and an amazing supporter of the craft beer industry and he has a couple great things coming up april 24th black flag beer dinner out somewhat near your area um and then on april 26th is mom's spaghetti dinner that'll be kushwa versus old mother because old mother challenged kushwa when they found out that they were winners um, and then tomorrow will be the Bell's Brewery Tappening with beer specials and five beers on tap from uh, Bell's. So thank you once again for your support, Rest House Pub. So there there was a lot of, um, I guess this year there was much more support in the, during um, the, this year's session for the craft beer industry. But there's still a lot of opposition. How How would you... What would you do specifically to help move things forward to make it a more friendly environment?
1: Well, let me let me answer that in two ways. First of all, I think that as long as people at the top are paid for are paid off by, you know, some of the big some of the big global conglomerates, it's going to be hard. Uh, so elect Alec Ross governor and Julie Verratti lieutenant governor, and that's going that'll totally change the game. That'll completely change the game because you'll have a governor and a lieutenant governor. Who are passionate about changing our alcohol laws, Uh, but short of that, like if you're just say, all right, taking that out of it, what is the strategy? Part of what I would do is I would put put forward faces from elsewhere in the supply chain. You know, it's not just the brewers who are impacted by this or who have a say in this. It's restaurateurs. It's it's you know people selling uh, people who are selling you know hops and grain and and you know yeast and you know everything else that goes into our beer. So I guess what I would do is bring more of the community into this. This isn't just about people who own craft breweries versus the conglomerates. This is more of a community. And so I guess and and I'm not saying that they fell short on that this time. I think they did a good job, but I would bring more of the community into this. And part of the way that I would do it is look at a, look at a city like Frederick. Frederick has so benefited by um, craft breweries coming in and getting people from neighborhood associations. Like, talk about what the impact of Attaboy has been, you know, based on it, it setting up shop where it did in Frederick. And then do it all around the state. Bringing in a craft brewery is great for a community, uh, it brings in tourists. It, you know, it's it's a place where, you know, people can eat and drink locally. I would br- I would sort of broaden the stakeholders who are speaking out about this. Get neighborhood associations where some of these breweries have gone in. Like, I just was at a, at a brewery in Pigtown, a you know, really rough neighborhood in Baltimore, where, you know, this group just opened up a craft brewery. And, like, what it's going to do for that community is amazing.
0: Yeah, and that's a i don't i'm not super familiar with baltimore areas but i i would assume that union and waverly have helped the hamden area oh yeah to, oh yeah to some extent so like that it baltimore would be is a great case study in what uh, a brewery can do for a, a area that is for all intents and purposes dead yeah breweries
1: a lot of these breweries they go into places where you're gonna have space uh cheap you know, space cheap space um, a lot of people, a lot of brewers are, look, they're makers. You know, they're willing to rebuild things. They're willing to rebuild space. And so they're going into a lot of time, tough communities or beaten down communities, and they're building something beautiful there. And then people go in to see it. And so they've really played a very positive role revitalizing communities. So you mentioned Waverly and Union in Baltimore. I mean, those were sort of old, tough, abandoned warehouses, warehouses that they went into and now they've just sort of revitalized that part of Western Hamden.
0: Yeah, and then with the the collective where they're moving into, there aren't many places that are gonna take over that large of an abandoned building at this point.
1: This is this is such a big deal. I mean, this is going into tough, you know, neighborhoods with, you know, these decrepit old warehouse spaces. And young people breathing new life into it. And a lot of these places have been abandoned for decades. Decades. You know, people are in there uh, shooting up, smoking up, whatever it is. And then these young folks, and I'm 46, so I define young as under 50. (laughs) Um, These young folks go in there, and they're imagining and inventing the future. And they're building it. It's amazing. I love it.
0: That's one of the beautiful things of the craft beer industry is it encompasses so many industries you have agriculture it's manufacturing and you mentioned earlier the supply chain and I I was talking to our publisher earlier today where like it kind of made me think how it's almost like a modern automotive industry where you there's all these other supporting businesses that have cropped up just to support breweries You have uh, glassware manufacturers, apparel manufacturers, and a lot of the breweries use local companies to make all of those things.
1: You're right, and I'll give another example for this. For the last 19 years, my wife and I will take a summer vacation in Ocean City, right? And we never really pulled over except to go to one of the like farm stands to buy some fruit and vegetables. But then because of Burley Oak... In berlin maryland which we would have never had reason to pull over in berlin maryland you know we got into berlin because we wanted to visit burley oak and then when we're there we hear the story about who they're sourcing fruit from who they're sourcing grain from it's all local and then you hear about the partnership that they have with a local restaurant so what do my wife and i do we go to the restaurant in berlin and oh by the way it's amazing and so I just know from my own life, like part of what the craft brewing industry has done is it's gotten us into towns like Berlin, Maryland, which, you know, for 18 years, we probably drove by at 55 miles an hour. Yeah. But then, but now because of Burley Oak, you go in, you drink the beer, you hear the story. You hear how the story relates to the people who are who are part of that supply chain with the shirts and the, you know, the apparel and the glassware and the food and you explore it. And it's just, so now like part of the vacation to ocean city is stopping off at these breweries on the way to there and from there.
0: that it's a part of every one of my uh, vacations. So thankfully my wife is on board for all of those too. Um, and like Cambridge, I'm, I'm sure it's always been a pleasant town, but there are way more people headed to Cambridge and stopping in Cambridge now because of RAR.
1: It's re- so it's funny you should say that. Um, you know, my campaign has basically gotten used to the fact that, you know, as I'm campaigning all over the state of Maryland, there are just going to be certain places where we're going to take a little break. <laughs> you know, we're going to take a little break. And you mentioned Cambridge, and everybody pretty much knows on the campaign, you got to, all right, well, there's got to be an at least 45-minute stopover at RAR. But it's also, like, for me, running for governor, like, where better to talk people, talk to people, where better to meet people than, you know, at one of the tables at RAR? Um, And so for me, it's a great way to hear different people's perspectives. But, yeah, no, I mean, Cambridge, again, you know, maybe you stop off and get some, you know, fill up the tank with gas, right? If you're hungry, maybe get a bite to eat but you're not really engaging with the community. But now that RAR is there, I feel like people are engaging with the community.
0: So from a specific standpoint on, on the difference, um, we'll just go down through like what Reform on Tap was trying to accomplish or the, the six-pack of bills that the Brewers Association of Maryland put forward. Um, you listed the number one as distribution. So would you propose getting rid of franchise law altogether or... The way BAM proposed it with where there was a cutoff, if you produced over, there was a huge number, then you were still subject to franchise law. But it basically made so that any of the small Maryland um, breweries would no longer have to be beholden to a distributor.
1: So here, let me first say I'm not the world's best wonk on this. You know, <laughs> I've got a set of values, uh-huh. and you know, my running mate, Julie Verratti, you know, who who again, she co-owns Denizens Brewing. Like she knows the details on this better than me. My view is whatever's in the interest of the craft brewing industry is what I what I'm in favor of. I I, I really don't think that we should have to have an antiquated distribution system for yeah. anybody. I mean, it's a vestige of post-prohibition Maryland. Uh, yeah, let's get rid of it. Like, I'm sorry, I don't understand what value it adds. So, if there are distributors that can do things that brewers can't, great. But let's not make their let's not make it mandatory, right? Yeah. Like, if brewers want to use a distributor, great. But let's not make it mandatory. I just feel like that these regulations don't actually serve any purpose. Like. If it if it doesn't clearly set out what the public good is, then let's get rid
0: of it. So then I would guess within those those values that you there's no room for barrel limits. No, which isn't no. Like, it's like if a yeah. guy, somebody's a
1: carpenter, like if all of a sudden they're making great tables and chairs, like why are you going to tell the carpenter, all right, that's great, but you can only make so many tables and so many chairs. No, no barrel limits. <laughs> And again, I respect the brewers who don't have those ambitions, but I respect the brewers who do have those ambitions. How about freedom? Freedom to become what you want. And you know what the limit should be? Seriously? The limit should be people who want to buy your beer.
0: Yeah. I I don't understand. No matter what argument I've heard put forward, I can't rationalize in my head why a business should be— uh, limited to how much I can sell nobody's going to to an individual em. person because it is alcohol I understand that right. at, at that given moment because I'm not going to say like yes they should be able to serve intoxicated people because right. then you do get into the the um public health argument that is not a real argument that most people put forward um but if someone comes in and they want to buy 20 cases of beer from you at that one time then And they're walking out with it, you could do that at a beer. Hot dogs, man.
1: Nobody's out there making hot dogs with the hot dog distributor network saying, that's fine, but you can only make, you know, 5,000 hot dogs. No, you make as many as people want to buy. Anything else just seems, again, it seems like the Soviet Union to me. So, no, no limits.
0: So then, yeah, actually, so I guess I, so you're in line with, uh, the controller. Just I am a no. world without limits. A
1: world without limits. Like, isn't that sort of purely American freedom? Yeah. Like, let people. Let us decide. Let us decide. If you want to be small, and you want to, you know, you want to brew four or five beers, maybe do a couple seasonals, not distribute out of, you know, not distribute outside of, uh, you know, a dozen stools. Great. Freedom to choose. If you wake up in the morning and say, you know what? I am going to become a billion-dollar brewery. Get at it. Like, freedom. Free market. Let it work for everybody.
0: And I assume and I hope those same ideals carry over to um, the things that the craft spirit industry is trying to move forward with.
1: Look, I'm fired up about the craft spirit industry. I mean, this is— You know, I I absolutely love the idea of bringing back craft distilling, for example, into Maryland. I mean, this goes back to our history before Maryland was even incorporated as a state. And, you know, in the same way in which I'm a champion of craft brewing, I've seen what craft spirits have done for other parts of the United States. It's fabulous, man. It's great. We should do that in Maryland. And again, these are people who are creating an incredibly high-quality product, uh, are doing so with a lot of integrity, and it's fun. It tastes good. You try it. You know, it's it's. I I want to unleash these folks.
0: Well, did you know on Saturday, if you want to come back to Frederick, we're having the second annual Frederick Craft Spirits Festival. There you from go. Two to six p.m so i think 15 craft breweries from all over maryland
1: i think i am out in rocky gap state park on saturday (laughs) in a room with a couple hundred democrats so (laughs) when when it gets to be too much i'll close my eyes and i'll think about i'll think about frederick
0: (laughs) and um and i think another great thing about uh both industries molly's um Brewery and Blue Dyer taught me that Southern Maryland exists. That's right. Cuz w- us up here we have no idea what that there's a place down there called Southern Maryland, but no, now we have a reason to know about it.
1: That's exactly right. No, in the same way in which you know we were talking about how when you go into Ocean City now you'll pull over in Cambridge to go to RAR, you'll pull over in Berlin to go to Burley Oak. You know, a lot of these craft spirits, they'll take you into different parts of Maryland. You'll learn new things. Uh, I see only good. Like I feel like for a long time there was sort of the mcdonalds of American food and American culture. You know, we all became, you know, so much became wrapped into the Fortune 500 of everything. And I view craft spirits and craft brewing is getting back to local, getting back to quality, you know, getting back to knowing... You know, not only who's making what they're putting in front of you, but knowing where it comes from, just, I don't know, that's, I want to live in a world of, I want to live in a world of, you know, local restaurants and craft brewers instead of, you know, just Corona and Applebee's, right?
0: Yeah. And they, they almost all universally celebrate Maryland, just as all Marylanders do. There are. There are a few states that love their state as much as Marylanders do. No, we're wrapped and in the
1: flag. The whole, ind- it's interesting that you mention that. You know, I mean, the the industry is wrapped in this Maryland flag to an extent that isn't the case most places.
0: Yeah, like uh, for Maryland Day, um, there was the combination of hysteria and uh, Lost Ark made, both made. Uh, one made a beer. One made the rye. Uh, I'm gonna feel horrible. I think it was a rye whiskey made from the hysteria beer, and they just named it hashtag #MDAF. Nice. And and it was the the Maryland flag in the background. It was, they were beautiful packages.
1: Yeah, and you know, for all, people outside of Maryland, you know, I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know what Maryland's brand is um, in the way in other which than it, crabs. That's right? the only thing. <laughs> No, that's right. It's like crabs, the Orioles. You know, it doesn't have the kind of brand that a California or a Texas or an Alabama or a Georgia or a New Jersey, you know, all these states have more distinctive brands than Maryland. And, you know, to the extent that, you know, our industry can help create a brand for Maryland, that's kind of cool, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, because as— Frederick is the craft beer capital of the East Coast. The whole state can t- grow from there. And as Graham laughing at me? Is because I figure if I say that enough times, then it'll it, just, then it'll it, it be becomes true. true.
1: Then it becomes true. Look, don't <laughs> let these people look at you sideways, man. Just believe it. Just believe it, and just keep saying it. And here's the funny thing about it: is cities do get cities get brands. And, you know, people want to move to places where there's going to be a quality of life and where there's going to be a scene that they want to be a part of. And not everybody's going to want to live in Brooklyn, right? It's super expensive. It's crowded. It doesn't suit everybody. Um, I think more and more people are looking for special places that have scenes uh, to sort of suit their lifestyle. And I do think that craft brewing, like in a city like Frederick, being a center of craft brewing on the East Coast, that's a scene. And not in the sort of gross meaning of the word scene, but like in the positive meaning. It's a, it's a local culture that I think is appealing to a lot of people that will draw people to want to live here we want to live here right yeah. Cool, progressive people who care about the earth who care about what they put in their bodies and who oh by the way this stuff tastes good and it makes you and, and you have fun yeah like, come on now
0: <laughs> so one um one of the overall arching themes that seemed to take place during this latest session was that it seemed like uh, at least and especially for when it came to craft spirits some of the bills looked promising that they were going to go through. And then all of a sudden, everyone, it, it seems like it was just clicks within there. And one of the bills was sponsored by, uh, a—I think it was a senator that died in, a, one of the rep- legislators. The, everyone turned on him, and all of his bills were ignored and weren't passed. How do you prevent stuff like that from happening?
1: You've gotta, so this is a case too where it matters who gets elected governor. It does, like does the governor care, does the governor not care? Um, but then it also, look, part of how you avoid that is you you make sure that these bills, the face of these bills, isn't the face of a state senator or of yeah. any politician. Like make it about the community so that if you're rejecting these bills, You're not rejecting a politician. You're rejecting a community of people. Um, And, you know, sometimes, yeah, yeah, I'll leave it at that. I mean, let's not make this about a politician and whether a politician is popular or not, you know, this senator, that senator. Let's make it about an entire community that's bigger than any one politician.
0: That's a good answer. I like that.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, and community is the right word. You know, I mean, I do think that there is a community around this and it's not just the brewers. The brewers are the most, are are the indispensable part of it, but it's the neighborhood associations of the, neighbor, of the neighborhoods that have been revitalized by craft brewing, co- craft brewery coming in. It's, you know, you and I are drinking, you know, this amazing beer right here, right now. It's, You know, with its you know mango tart IPA. Who, where'd you get those mangoes from, man? Who was in that supply chain? Like, you know,
0: I wish I could answer that. I don't know.
1: Three. What was it? What did you tell me? It was three hundred
0: and fifty three pounds.
1: Three hundred and fifty three pounds of mango puree went into making this brilliant beer that you and I are drinking. Who, whoever it was that sold the three hundred and fifty three pounds of mango puree to you, made some money, right?
0: Yeah. I, get, but I, they're I,
1: part of the community.
0: They're probably not local though, because that's a it's a large like food grade, right? But, but well, I could be wrong. I don't no, know I'll but have to yeah, ask. Have but to let's ask get the them. At, but you know, get, But here's the here's comes. the thing though. Like, the the
1: global conglomerates they bring their national players in. Like yeah. this is a case to bring national players who are supportive of the craft brewery in.
0: But in. Um, from a lot of other ingredients of beer i mean you have the university of maryland work, working closely with flying dog yep. and hop farmers in maryland to develop strains and um, varieties of hops that that they know they can grow in maryland and more and more breweries are using those hops um, there's a maltster in maryland now so pe- the breweries are actually able to source That's malted right. barley in maryland so it it all the love stays within Maryland.
1: That's it. Look, this is all for the good. And when I talk about community, this is who I'm talking about. It goes beyond just the brewers. Um, there are a lot of different people who care about this industry and who benefit from it.
0: So as you have traveled around the state and talked to people, is this a topic that the general population cares about?
1: It's getting there it's it's based really on age. Um it's terrible to say, but you know, while look, I'm over 40 and I, I I drink craft beer, but I think that the people who are sort of most irritated by this are people in their 20s and 30s who are not really part of the Budweiser generation yeah. or who didn't go to college slurping Budweiser down, right? Um or if they did, they got corrected shortly yeah. thereafter. So I th- I think there's a little bit of a generational divide and a cultural divide. I find that it's a lot of people who are under forty who are most or under forty five who are most spun up about it. And I find that um, it, it does tend to be people who care more about their local communities. You know, it's th- than you know people who are tuned out from it. So it's it's not universal yet. But it's definitely bigger than just a small community.
0: Do you get the sense that it is it the has it been made larger than what most politicians would have thought?
1: Yes, no doubt. I think politicians are shocked that what they would have thought of as this obscure little thing has this, you know, is generating so much attention. And I think it's generating so much attention in part because of the symbolism. I do think that that the tension between the global conglomerates and yeah. the distributors and the paid-off politicians versus Maryland-based craft breweries is symbolic of a bigger thing going on in society right now where being a small business owner puts you at a spectacular disadvantage versus international conglomerates. We you know, small business owners don't have the lawyers, accountants, and lobbyists to fight against the, gl- the global conglomerates. But the fact that it's so hyper-local and you still lose, I think that that's part of what's made this such a scene.
0: Yeah, because the people voting and contacting legislators, they know the, the people being affected personally.
1: That's right. No, that's right. And I do think there's a bigger problem in America right now where— it's really, really hard to be a small business owner and an entrepreneur. And it just seems like the big power, the conglomerates, the monopolies, they're just getting more and more and more power. And so I think that this is representative of a bigger problem in the United States right now.
0: Yeah, and um, and definitely buy local. That That's right. Refrain is ever-growing and so, if what one thing would you actually know? I have a couple questions first, and then what is your favorite Maryland beer?
1: Oh. oh my god, I don't know if I'm allowed to answer that. I've got a running mate who owns a <laughs> brewery, man. Um, All right. It depends on. We'll
0: just we'll just say obviously, however many number of beers Denison makes, that's one through whatever number for you. What is the next favorite after all of Denison's beers? Okay,
1: that's a that's a great question. Um, It depends on the time of year. I will say, we just had a cold winter, and I did drink a whole lot of the porter that came out of Diamondback. Um, You know, I, I love what they were producing there. Um, my wife, uh, who has a little different palate than me, she's been slurping down a lot of skipjack from, from union lately. I'm a very seasonal drinker, so I definitely drink a lot depending on what the weather is like outside. You know, I, I definitely drink a lot of the more robust, uh, more robust, more roasted beers during the winter, during the spring, get into some box, lighten up a little bit summers, you know, it's. It's IPAs and a little bit more lagers, Um, you know, and I'm a pretty adventurous drinker. You know, I do have a beer fridge and, um, you know, there are, I I will say there are a couple breweries that um, end up in the the beer fridge more often than not. And part of it is a function of, you know, whose beer can I get in Baltimore? But I do drink a lot of Burley Oak. I drink a lot of Diamondback. I drink a lot of Union. I drink a lot of R.A.R., uh there's a small outfit right now called gunda yes gunda's great
0: man tim tim Scouton is one of my favorite people
1: uh so i i i really love what they do but a lot of what i'm trying to do right now is drink stuff for the first time you know so i'm trying to be an expeditionary beer drinker i'm trying to be an expeditionary beer drinker
0: awesome um and then i guess uh, what is your favorite maryland spirit
1: you know, I, I the Baltimore Whiskey Company. I love those guys. I mean, yeah. you know, they opened up their first the first distillery in Maryland in thirty years, and they have an apple brandy. The apple brandy made by the Baltimore Whiskey Company is ridiculous. Yeah,
0: he, when when um, oh my they God. came on it, that they brought that with them. It was it's like really a, good. One
1: hundred and eight, one hundred and nine proof, and there's a. There's a cocktail, like look it up, in, in the PDT, I bet you can Google it, like PDT uh, uh, cocktail recipe for, it's a Persephone, it's gin, it's, it's, it's gin, it is apple brandy, it is lime juice, and maybe one other thing, it is just, it, it puts the donk in redonkulous, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a spectacular drink.
0: So if you could describe yourself in one word... How would it be? Innovator. It's a good one. I so like to
1: imagine and invent the future.
0: That question was mainly asked just so I could say, when I told my wife that I was having you on, she started uh-huh. looking at you too. And she was like, so I was... I was Reading and looking at stuff on his Facebook page, he is sassy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, no, man. I look. I just. I, I, so I'm, she loves the way
0: you answer questions. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Look, I,
1: I'm the one. I don't like to accept the world as it is, and I try to be a nice guy about it. But you know, our politics are ugly right now, and I'm running for governor right now to try to strongly assert some values and. You know, there are a lot of haters out there. There are a lot of cynics out there. And yeah, you t- every now and then you got to get a little sassy, man. You got <laughs> to have a little bit of giddy up.
0: All right. Um, thank you so much for uh, coming in and talking to us. No,
1: this has been great. Thank you.
0: And where can people go to learn more about you?
1: Go to alecross.com, A-L-E-C-R-O-S-S.com. Again, my running mate, I'm running for governor, and my running mate, Julie Varadhi, Uh, She and her wife, Emily, own and run Denizen's Brewing. Uh, So, you know, we are members of this community. We are champions of this community. And I really appreciate your giving me an opportunity to talk to the community today, today, Chris.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. Cheers. Cheers. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Collin and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing theme music. Thanks for listening.